0: Amen. Thank you, Gerald. Good morning, everybody, and a very happy Easter to everybody. You look amazing. Yep. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> Don't look a day over 70. Thank you. No, it's so good to see everybody. Oh, we're honored to have everyone here, wherever you're visiting from. And we welcome those of you watching by live stream. Anywhere in the world, you got a computer. We always love to hear from our friends. While the ushers are receiving the offering this morning, I just want to remind you that at the end of the service, we'll be celebrating communion for our Catholic friends, the Eucharist. And so, just kind of put that cup aside for a little bit while we enjoy just a little bit of the Word. And then at the end of the service, we've got two or three wonderful worship songs that we're going to sing together before we we celebrate with the children and have a great time outdoors and indoors. But we're glad everybody's here. I want to talk to you about good news from a graveyard. A couple of thousand years ago, something happened that never happened before. A few brokenhearted people went to the tomb of a man they loved, a man who had recently died whom they had seen crucified. They were told he's not here. The tomb was empty. You may be aware that the empty tomb today is the only tourist attraction in the world where people line up to see nothing. Because he's not there, he is risen. We don't have a dead Savior. We have a living, resurrected Savior. And that one fact, that one single bit of news changed history. To this day, to this day, all of human history is divided into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Dominion, the year of our Lord, what happened after that one life. No person on earth ever changed the dating system except Jesus when He rose from the dead. And every person who claims to be an atheist, every time you date a check or a contract, you're attesting that 2,015 years ago, Jesus Christ came, died, rose from the dead, and He is alive today. And thank you very much. Now, the reason for that report was not simply that the tomb was empty. That's important. It wasn't a report about where Jesus now wasn't, the tomb. It was about where Jesus was now. All of a sudden, now, He's with Mary. He's telling her, hey, sweetheart, you don't have to go through life being afraid anymore of anything, not even death itself. He's with Peter. He's telling him, Pete— You don't have to go through life feeling ashamed and guilty anymore because you failed so often, and you even denied knowing me before I died because I am restoring you. Then he goes to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, you don't have to curl up in a fetal position. You can get rid of your pacifier. You don't have to doubt anymore. Not about God, not about the resurrection, not about me. You can live life with faith and hope and joy. And then he's with the disciples, and he's telling them, now you have a reason to live, you have a reason to die, and you have a reason to hope beyond death. See, he wasn't in the tomb. He was just everywhere else now, and not just then, but now as well. A guy named Jimmy Gentry put it like this, he's not there, but thank God he's here. Not in the tomb anymore, but he's here with us. Now, I want to talk to everybody who needs some hope today. I think for some of you, life's going pretty well this Easter. Everything's kind of on the upswing. And man, I hope that's the case, and I am glad it is. But I'm smart enough to know there's a lot of people for whom that is not the case. I think about a couple where one of them recently received a very difficult medical diagnosis. I think about a woman I know who lost her husband recently under incredibly hard circumstances. I think about a young person who's not sure there is a God. So I want to talk to you, particularly those of you this Easter who might have thought, I'm not sure, as bad as I feel, as helpless or hopeless as I think I am, I'm not sure I even want to go to church on Easter. So let me inform you of a very convenient truth today. The first Easter did not come to people who were happy, who were well-dressed, and for whom life was going well. It came to people who had lost their hope, who had lost their leader. They were frightened. They were confused. They were afraid. They were disappointed. That's who he came for. So I want to tell you, we need a hope today that's not superficial, and it's not just human. If we could engineer hope, if it was only about our circumstances, we wouldn't even need Easter. A long time ago, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, if you're from England, Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah and his people Israel lived in a really dark time, politically and economically. They were suffering. They were being oppressed by the superpower called Babylon, the most powerful nation on earth. Things were really bad. Isaiah wanted to give them some words of comfort and hope, but he was given this odd message from God. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? The voice said, cry out. All flesh is grass. All human glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever." So God says, Isaiah, get out there and tell people all flesh is grass, all human glory like the flowers of the field. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's temporary. It's disposable. It's not permanent. And you know, He's saying it's like that with people. It's kind of an odd message to give folks who are in a dark place, but it's true. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, it's just true. We live in a culture that doesn't like to talk much about death or really serious matters, which is kind of strange when when the Lord told us very clearly in the New Covenant, it is appointed unto man once to die. You can be buff. You can take your barley green every morning. You can work out the, in the gym. You can be a vegetarian, and you can walk out of here and get hit by a car. You don't know. You can be healthy. You can be buff. You can look really hot and feel a lump in your breast taking a shower and change everything. God says, you're going to die. Your flesh, this body of flesh, is like grass. And like blue bonnets, right now in full blossom and beauty in San Antonio, Texas, they're magnificent. But every one of us that's lived here more than one year, we all know what's going to happen. As soon as that sun breaks out of the clouds, and that temperature rises to 100 degrees, and there's no rain for months, they're going to be brown. They're going to be dead as Julius Caesar. So, they're pretty right now. Enjoy them. But every one of us knows won't last. Am I telling the truth? All right. Now, he's using this as an analogy. We need to hear what he's saying. We live in a denial about it. We kind of hope that technology or something will enable us to overcome that, that possibility, But the Bible says people are supposed to think about how fragile and frail life is and flesh is, and for many centuries people did. Parents used to teach this prayer to their children because I prayed it. I remember. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Anybody but me ever pray that prayer? Come on, look at me. Look at that. That shows we have a real old crowd here. Those are kind of sobering words for a little kid to pray right before they go to sleep in a bedroom in the dark all by themselves. Now, I'm not making this up, but there is a second verse to that prayer. Now imagine, you're a little kid, you're praying these words, it's the last thing in the dark. Our days begin with trouble here, our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near, so frail a thing is man. Good night, sweetheart. (laughs) Pleasant dreams. Don't forget, all flesh is like grass. And what Isaiah is saying to us is, don't put your ultimate hope in human strength. Don't put your ultimate hope in human sufficiency, in human ingenuity. When Isaiah said this, these people were living in the shadow of the most powerful nation on earth. They were living under the oppressive heel of the splendor and power and beauty of Babylon. The magnificent Babylon who knew, they thought, that the glory of Babylon would last forever. So, question, did it? I don't see any Babylonians in here today, so I don't think it did. This is an open book quiz, folks. This is real easy. <laughs> the madman Adolf Hitler said that the Third Reich would be the thousand-year reign. Now nah, let's go for twelve that's all. God told you. There is nothing in human flesh that's permanent. So it didn't last long as they thought it would. The Bible says all flesh is like grass, and you don't have to believe the Bible. Just look around. The fastest athlete in the world will eventually be defeated by arthritis. The most beautiful supermodel in the world will not be on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition when she's 97 years old. Wealthy, powerful CEOs get betrayed by their bodies and they die. Why? All flesh is grass. This is really important. We live in a culture that wants to deny it. I'll give you another observation from the Bible, and this is by Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. The writer says, God has placed eternity in the human heart. So all flesh is grass. It's temporary. It's disposable. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We're that way as humans, but here's how you and I are different than grass, than flowers. God has placed eternity in the human heart. The grass doesn't know it's here today and gone tomorrow. The squirrel I ran over yesterday doesn't know it's here today and gone tomorrow. The jackrabbits in the field. The deer that struck the front of my wife's car and took it off a few months ago and Yielded up his life, did not know it's here today, gone tomorrow. They didn't think about it. They didn't care. They didn't know. The grass doesn't have a clue it's here today and gone tomorrow. No creature on earth carries that knowledge, that glory, or that burden but a human being. There's a cave in New Zealand. You can Google it. They have glowworms. The inside of the cave is lit up by these fluorescent, phosphorus little creatures. Now, they spend most of their life as larvae. When they finally hatch and get their wings, it's quite amazing they have no mouth. They have no way to feed. They only live for one single day. They get one day to fly, one day to attract a mate, one day to get married, one day to have children, and then they die. One day. What's your problem? The grass is here today, it's gone tomorrow, it doesn't care. But we are different. We have a radar God put in us for eternity. Human beings have this instinct, this sixth sense that death is not the last word, that life doesn't end with the grave. We have a hunger this world cannot satisfy. There has never been an indigenous people discovered by sociologists or those who are scientists anywhere on planet Earth that didn't worship something. Not one. Didn't find one atheist among any tribe of any unknown people that were discovered ever. wonder why that is. Because God put eternity in the human heart. That's what it means that God has placed eternity in the human heart. We have a hunger for something that the world can't give us. Now you have a longing for security that your 401k, or your wealth, or the things you have can't seem to provide. All you got to do is watch entertainment tonight, read anything about the celebrities. They've got everything you could ever want for, and still not satisfied. Why? God put eternity in the heart, and that new Rolls Royce isn't going to scratch it. That new woman ain't going to scratch it. How much iron you can pump, how much booze you can drink, how much sex you can have, how hot your body is isn't ultimately going to satisfy it. God made you that way. See, we have a longing to be loved, to be known completely and utterly love perfectly in a way nobody on this earth, not even your spouse, can possibly offer. You've got a longing for healing to be set right that no therapist in the world, not even Dr. Phil, can give you. You've got a hunger for meaning that no achievement on earth can quite give you. God has placed eternity in the human heart. You don't have to believe in the Bible to see this. Look at the pyramids of Egypt. Visit a nursing home. Eternal life is life with God every moment, and the most important thing we're doing in this life is preparing for the life that's coming. Bill Hybels, who's a pastor in Chicago of Willow Creek, was, tells the story that he's studying the Bible in a restaurant trying to put a sermon together. A young woman looks over at him and sees the Bible on the table in front of him and says, why are you reading that? And Bill looked back and said, because I don't feel like going to hell when I die. Now, now, Bill has a problem with just saying what's, what he's thinking, and she said to him, there's no such thing as heaven or hell. And Bill loves edgy conversations, and he's thinking to himself, oh, goody, this is going to be interesting. And he said to her, why do you say that? She says, why, everybody knows when you die, your candle just goes out, poof. And Bill said, you mean to tell me there's no afterlife? Nope, she said. Bill said, well, that means you can just do whatever you want to do, Right. She said, that's right. Like Bill says, like there's no reckoning day, no justice from God for the evil in the world, the, the world being set right, everybody giving account, nothing like that. She says, nope. Bill says, that's fascinating to me. Where did you hear that? She said, I read it somewhere. He says, can you give me the name of the book? I, I don't recall. Can you give me the name of the author of the book? I, I forgot his name. Did that author write any other books? I, I don't know. Is it possible your author changed his mind two years after he wrote that book and wrote another book and said, there's a heaven and a hell? Is that possible? She said, well, yeah, well, it's possible. Bill says, let me get this straight. You're rolling the dice on your eternity predicated on what someone you don't know wrote a book you can't recall the title of. Have I got this straight? She looked back and says, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And Bill said, you know what I think, sweetheart? I think you've created a belief that guarantees the continuance of an unencumbered lifestyle because it's very discomforting to think that you might have to face a holy God and give a reckoning to Him. I think you just made that up. See, God put eternity in every heart, and every one of us has those moments. I don't care who you are. When you kind of hear that inner radar, Uh, you're at a funeral, someone you love and it's sobering no matter who you are, and there's a stillness at the mystery of death. Or you go out on the hillside on a beautiful day, and you see beautiful flowers, or you see the beauty of creation, and it's so incredible knowing that everything is here today and gone tomorrow, and, and you wonder, what is it I feel? Uh, I'm I present when I see a life come into this world. I watch a baby, our children, birthed and come out of, out of a human body with fingernails and cuticles and eyelashes and fingerprints. And I thought, and you say there is no God? That, it, it, I looked at that, and, and no matter how hard your heart is or how wicked you are, you said, that is amazing. That, that's kind of one of those wow moments that God has put eternity in your heart. When our first child was born, the very first moment of her life, I took her from my wife and held Chrissy in my arms, and something happened I didn't expect. I could kind of like see the whole span of life as an older guy looking at a baby just, just out of the, just wiped down. That moment, I could see the whole span of life in an instant. I said to Cindy, sweetheart, this little strand of blonde hair is going to turn gray one day. Then it's going to turn white. This soft, peachy, smooth, rosy little skin I'm holding right now will one day grow wrinkled. And this tiny, tender, pliable little body will grow bent with age, and she'll grow old. Then we'll die. We'll be gone. Then she'll die. She'll be gone. This little body I'm holding right now, Cindy said, give that baby to me. You're going to creep her out. (laughs) But there's something inside of us. A guy named Dallas Willard wrote this, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That's who you are. You ought to read that and remember it every day. That's your identity. You're going to die. I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I want to live forever. God didn't plant death in the human heart. It says God planted eternity in the heart death is not the way we were supposed to be. God didn't come up with death. That was because of sin. My sin, your sin, Adam's sin. And that meant, at that moment, we'd have to face a holy God on a day of reckoning, knowing we hadn't lived up to His standard of perfection by a million light years. And I knew, and know, I think we all know, human sufficiency not going to get me out of this one, All of the king's horses and all of the king's men and all the creativity and all the innovation and pride of this world can't get me out of this one. So I have to tell you that if you don't have a hope bigger than death, you don't have any hope at all. So God made a way. Isaiah said, all flesh is grass and all human glory is like the flower of the field. But the word of our God stands forever. Now that that statement is very interesting. We might expect Him to say, human beings are temporary, and then say, God is eternal. God will last forever. But He actually modifies this passage in two really interesting ways. He says, not just God, but the Word of God. And it's not just the Word of God, but the Word of our God stands forever. It's personal. It says, God, who is God, wants to be your God. He wants a relationship with you. And Isaiah is pointing something that's going to come in the future. That Word is a picture of who Jesus is, and we don't know that reading the Old Testament until we come to the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, John puts it like this, and the Word became flesh. Hmm. That's a staggering thought. He says, you know, all flesh is grass. All human glory is like a flower. It flayed, It fades away. It's temporal. It's disposable. But the Word of our God, personal relationship, abides forever. He's eternal. But the Word becomes flesh, limits Himself. And this is one of those titles John uses for Jesus, the Word. The Word. uh, It refers to Jesus, the Son of God, the expression of God. Kind of like my Word is an expression of who I am, Jesus is the expression of God, the incarnation of God. He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. They're one. The Pharisees went nuts because Jesus kept claiming to be equal with the Father, claiming to be God. They knew exactly what He was saying. The Word which is eternal became flesh. Ah, He limited Himself. All flesh is grass. It's temporary. It's disposable. It dies. So Jesus humbles Himself. He takes on the nature of a servant. He washed feet. He was struck, but He didn't strike back. He was hated, but he didn't hate back. He was cursed, but he wouldn't curse back. He was rejected, but he wouldn't reject back. He was held in contempt, but he wouldn't have contempt for anyone. He was condemned, but he gave forgiveness. And you understand this man Jesus is the word that became flesh. They put him on a cross. They whipped him till he bled. They hung him till he died. They laid him in a tomb. They sealed it with a stone. They put a Roman sentry guard uh, men around him to make sure no one could steal his body. And then the third day came, and Jesus said, I think I'll take my life back. And the stone got rolled away, and the tomb was empty. And eternity now had invaded history, and death for the first time ever was now defeated. If Jesus conquered sin and death and guilt and hell and shame, then this same Jesus can conquer whatever stands between you and God. Anything that stands between you and God is never bigger than Him. It's not stronger than Him. Any human being to this very moment, if I confess my sin and ask Jesus to forgive me and to become my Savior, my guide, my friend, my leader, He will actually take up residence in the human heart. Remember, He's not there in the tomb. He's here, and He wants to live in your heart and mine. He goes everywhere I go. I have eternal life. You can kill my body, but you can't kill me. And so, it's disposable. The flesh will die. Jesus then incarnates Himself as flesh, comes out of a womb just like a baby but he lives a life without sin able to die for the creation he created once for all and the bible says there remains no more sacrifice for sin there's absolutely nothing you can do to pay that debt that you owe the wages of sin is death so either you have to die or a substitute has to die and all through the old testament they had this picture every day they're slaughtering bulls and goats and rams for the atonement of their sins every day blood the bleeding of animals is being shed without the shedding of blood There's no forgiveness of sins. Come over into the New Testament, and John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Only this Lamb didn't have four legs. He had two. It was the Son of God. And He became the sacrifice for all of humanity once for all. So there's nothing I can do. It's not something you do. It's something He's done. Christianity is not about praying three times this way, four times this, wear this, don't wear this, eat this, don't drink this, do this, don't do this, jump through this hoop, that hoop, don't do this. That's your works. And the works of righteousness will fail. They will perish They are ignored by a holy God. It is the finished work of Jesus that merits God's favor. And when I say yes to this Jesus, invite Him into my heart, out of that tomb, He gives me eternal life. The Father sees me as having been judged. Please don't tell anybody that gets in trouble, God's judging you. No, your stupid decision brought some consequences on you. God wasn't even involved in it. If I drive too fast and hit a tree, oh God, God took him. No, God didn't take him. The fool drove without a seat, belt, drive under the influence, and killed himself. I'm tired of hearing this thing. God poured his whole wrath on Jesus. It says he satisfied his wrath and was appeased at the judgment on Christ. So for this sinful world, you, me, everybody that's ever been or will be, God judged him for me. I'll never be judged today in my life now that I am a follower of Jesus. When the Father looks at me, He says, ah, oh, I've already been judged, covered in the blood of Jesus. The blood symbolized death has occurred. Judgment has occurred. When you saw a dead animal bleeding, death occurred. Blood occurred. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's what the Passover was. It was symbolic that a sacrifice had been made. There's no judgment coming to you, and it's just forgiveness and mercy. But, oh man, he, we still got to do it. Got to wear this, don't wear this. Eat this, don't eat this. Go this time, put this on, take that off, do that. Holy cow. It, today, you got to, it's, it's, it's exhausting to be religious. And Jesus took all that nonsense away and just said, follow me. He that believeth on me shall never die. Because I live, you shall live also. I'm the resurrection and the life. Muhammad never said that. Buddha never said that. Krishna never said that. Nobody. Abraham didn't say it. Mary didn't say it. Only Jesus said it. And then he goes on. Paul, St. Paul goes on to say, for there's one mediator between God and man. How many? Uno. One. 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 Not one apostle is there. Not even the precious Virgin Mary is there. The man Christ Jesus. One mediator between God and man. Read the book of, of Timothy. The man Christ Jesus. That's my mediator. So, today, He's my high priest. I'm not your high priest. He's my high priest. And if you're a believer, you're a priest and a king. You can come directly to the Father through Jesus. Every single person has direct access to Him. That's just the coolest thing in the whole world. So He's not in a tomb anymore. Thank God He's here. God is saying through that resurrection, I want my world back. We get to be part of that. That's why we're here as a church. If you've never done it, if you don't have that hope, that Jesus hope, man. I can't imagine a better day for that decision than Easter weekend. And and I want to give you one last picture of hope because it's beyond human. When Prime Minister Winston Churchill, probably one of the most remarkable lives of the 20th century, died, they held his funeral in the magnificent St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England. I've been there many times. Magnificent. It was named after St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who lived about 2,000 years ago, who promised another hope. They finished the ceremony, and it was remarkable. Everybody thought, it's all over. It's done. But to their surprise, there was a lone bugler up in the dome of St. Paul's. And that bugler began to play, just one bugler playing taps. That song in the army that says, day is done, darkness has fallen, it's time for sleep. Well, that last note died out, and everybody thought, now it's over. But on the other side of the dome, another bugler stood up. He played Revelly, That song of the morning, it's time to get up, it's time to get up, it's time to get up. All flesh is as grass, but God's placed eternity in the heart of human beings. Taps. Death is not the end. Not anymore. So there's only one hope worth having, and it's Easter hope. That's the Jesus hope. And man, I hope you have it. If I can help you or we can help you on that journey, I hope you'll make that call. Our praise team is going to come and play another song written by Nate, who's on keyboard, one of our own members, a beautiful song. And I'd like you to take a moment just during this song, just you and God, because sometimes on a busy weekend like Christmas or Easter with everything going on, you actually never have a moment to talk with God personally. So this is kind of your moment. Jesus exchanged Himself for our sin so we could have salvation and His righteousness. I didn't earn it, don't deserve it, not worth it, can't do anything for it. I just said, yes, and accepted his once-for-all sacrifice, and he who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a legal exchange. Here at Summit, Cindy and I, our team and staff, all want something for you. We want you to have life and have life abundant. In God's family, there are no strangers. There are no outcasts. There's no third class. There are no orphans. And we want you to make an exchange for life that's eternal and abundant, a life with the hope we spoke about. So while we're standing, our heads are bowed. Maybe you're really grateful and full of joy for a lot of good things in your life, and you just want to say, Thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Or maybe you really need hope, like something really big deeper than something superficial or maybe you've never resolved the issue of where you're putting your ultimate hope and maybe this is the moment to say Jesus I want that hope to be in you I want to make that commitment to have you be my savior my forgiver my friend and my leader I want you and eternal life living in me our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Jesus said, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's anybody, anywhere, anytime that will ask Him. He'll come. He'll come and make His residence in your heart and forgive your sin. He said, my plans for you are good, not evil, to give you a hope and a future. Man, it's great to have a hope beyond the grave and a hope in life. And he says, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Peter said that to Jesus, but Peter failed. There's no human that can absolutely guarantee that. Only God can. I will never leave you on your worst day or forsake you. That's how much he loves you. If you don't have that Easter hope, if you're not sure about eternal life, if you've never made that choice, that simple commitment that means the rest of your life, don't put that off. I want to pray for you. That's all. I just want to include you in my prayer. Don't want not going to sign you up for anything, don't want you to join anything. Just want to pray with you. So with our heads bowed, would you just let me know to include you? Just slip a hand up and take it down. Just for a second. Come on. Just slip it up. God bless you. God bless you. It's a big auditorium, so it takes a moment. I just want to know you're here to see you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something that's just one more thing, but it's a a great decision. We're here for you. We want to be merchants of good news, not bad news. We're not here to preach a political ideology, a racial ideology. We're just here to preach Jesus, period, anybody, anywhere, from any place. This is your moment. I'm going to ask everybody that raised a hand or wanted to, would you—we would you, don't normally do this, but this is a good moment to do it. Occasionally, I like to. Would you just get out of that chair? Would you just stand with me right here? Again, nobody's going to bother you. Just come stand. I want to pray with you. I want to see you. Come on. Come on, right now. Just step out of that chair. Ask someone to move. If you're with a good friend, they'll come with you. Come on, right now. Just get up and come. We're going to celebrate you right here at the front. God bless every one of you. Every one of you. God wants you to be sure you have this hope eternal life. So you can embrace life with all of its problems, all of its temporalness, with confidence and with hope. Hey, little guy, you come on too. Come on, you come on up here to the front. I won't bite. Come on. I stood right where you stand. I got the same Jesus in me that' about to come in you. The Same hope. God's no respecter of people. Yeah, come on. Come on, little ones, too. God bless you. God bless you, Mom. Cool. That's good to see everybody. You doing okay? I'm so glad you guys are here today. I'm just easy, easy, going. glad you're here. No religious hype. This is just really cool. Anybody? Yeah, come on. Good to see couples coming, too. Thank you. Thank you. You're so important to God. I wish I could convey that. It's not based on your GED. It's not based on your SAT. It's not based on your IQ. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your past. It's just absolute, total, unconditional love for every human being. Your life matters. You were worth the death of God on the cross. Don't you ever feel like nobody. Don't you ever feel like nothing? You are somebody. Now, God's going to give you something great. I'm going to pray. I pray baby prayers. You don't pray in King James unless you're 400 years old. You just pray in English. And so, I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with me, and I want the whole church to pray together. This is a family affair, but it makes it kind of easy for all of us to pray together. So follow me. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. You paid for my sins. I receive this gift of eternal life paid for by Jesus. Come into my heart today as my Savior, as my Lord, as my friend, as my guide. Thank you I have a hope and a great future. Thank you. Your plans for me are good, not evil. So I receive you, Lord. Help me discover your purpose for my life, and help me fulfill it in my generation. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Now would you just shout amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the magnificent gift of Jesus. We are just crazy about you and thankful. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.